The first blues tune W.C. Handy heard in Tutwiler, Mississippi, the song that changed music in America, was called Going Where the Southern Crossed the Dog, about the intersection of the Southern Railroad and the Yazoo and Delta Railroad. Most people just called it the Crossroad. Founded by Chester Pond, the Yazoo and Delta Railway began service in 1897, running from Ruleville, Mississippi, population 336, to an empty spot in the middle of the Delta. So why would a tiny town need its own railroad? And why was it called the dog? We'll tell you what we found out on this special rabbit hole edition of Blues Out. Blues Out, Blues Out, Blues Out. Chester Pond and the Yellow Dog Railroad. The Yazoo and Delta Railway was known across the region simply as the Yellow Dog, and the debate over how it got its name rages on today. The first theory is based on the fact that the railroad's bright yellow rolling stock had the initials Y and D painted on the side. Another belief posits that it's based on a Yellow Dog labor contract in which the employee agrees not to join a union. Yet a third premise revolves around a feral dog that ran barking after trains as they rolled through town. Occam's Razor suggests the first theory. Railroad nicknames were commonplace. The Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe, famous itself from a Judy Garland song, was nicknamed Eight Tacos and Spat Fire, based on the acronym ATNSF painted on its rolling stock. The B&O, Baltimore and Ohio, went by the moniker Beefsteak and Onions. However it got its name, the Y&D found its way into American culture and the birth of blues music. But why did it exist at all? It connected a town of fewer than 400 to the dead middle of nowhere and ran only 20 miles. The Yellow Dog Railway's existence is down to its founder, Chester H. Pond. Pond was raised in Ohio and educated at Oberlin College. As a teenager, he worked as a telegraph operator and later served in the Union Army Telegraph Corps during the Civil War. Telegraphy was a skill that would serve him well throughout his life. By the late 1800s, Pond had become a successful capitalist. He owned 5,000 acres of timber in Sunflower County, Mississippi, and needed a way to get lumber from his mill to the newly installed Southern Railroad 20 miles away. The Southern, of course, was a large railroad with over 6,000 miles of track that connected Wilmington, Delaware to Charleston, Savannah, Atlanta, Birmingham, Memphis, St. Louis, and New Orleans. The Southern opened up a much larger market channel for Pond's sawmill business, so he built his own line to get there. In the process of connecting the two railroads, Pond founded the town of Moorhead, Mississippi, where the lines met, where the Southern crossed the dog. Moorhead evolved according to Pond's vision as a place that provided work in developed industry, a place where even people on a low income could afford a home. Moorhead was his response to sharecropping, which he believed was demoralizing African-American farmers. Pond, by his own estimate, raised $15 million twice to build and expand his railways and businesses, including investments from Stuyvesant Fish, president of the Illinois Central, a line which still runs today from Chicago to Memphis and New Orleans. Pond originally intended for the Yazoo and Delta to connect Memphis to Pensacola, Florida, but died before the line got that far and was ultimately absorbed by a larger competitor, like hundreds of other small railroads. Unlike the now mostly forgotten lines, Chester Pond's Railroad would become a legend in American music. But that's not the only thing he's famous for. He was also a prolific inventor. 
Using his background in telegraphy, he developed a self-winding, self-synchronizing clock in the fall of 1885. The idea was that a very accurate master clock would send a telegraph signal on the hour to subsidiary clocks all across the nation, correcting the time and winding the clock mechanism, creating a national system of timekeeping. Today our cell phones and digital watches do the same thing. They sync up automatically to the U.S. Naval Observatory whenever they hit a new tower or Wi-Fi connection. As bizarre as it sounds today, before Chester Pond's self-synchronizing clock, every whistle-stop town along every railroad in America kept its own time. It might be noon in Tutwiler, 12.15 in Clarksdale, just 15 miles away, and 11.55, 40 miles south, in Moorhead. When you arrived at a local station, the conductor would announce pertinent info like town population and whether alcohol and tobacco were legal within the city limits. And of course, you got the local time. Chester Pond's clock changed all that and was incredibly reliable. The clock in New York's Grand Central Station is still running today. Pond was a born inventor. An idea he dropped to Elijah Gray about a self-adjusting relay helped Gray improve the telegraph and invent the telephone. Another of Pond's inventions was a fire alarm telegraph system which automatically dispatched the fire department and eventually activated sprinklers. Most of Chester Pond's inventions and businesses had a public service aspect about them. His lumber mill was even a philanthropic endeavor, helping fund the Alameda Gardner School, named after his wife. Alameda, called by the denizens of Moorhead, the college, was an industrial boarding school for African-American girls. Partially funded by the American Missionary Society, in addition to the lumber mill, the Alameda curriculum focused on academic, musical, gymnastic, and industrial training. The student body was small, only 95 pupils and 6 teachers, and it wasn't free. Pond believed people would value something more if they paid for it, so the parents of students were required to pay tuition, but only what they could afford. Though Pond kept offices in New York City, had business interests in Chicago, and served on the board of his alma mater, Oberlin College in Ohio, Chester Pond always called Moorhead home. He died there on June 11, 1912. He was 68. And even though most people don't know his name, Chester H. Pond has had a significant impact on us all. Thank you for listening to American Entertainment Works Blues Alley. If you're able to support us, you can buy us a coffee on Ko-fi. It's not expensive, and you'll be helping us tell more stories about American culture. That's ko-fi.com slash American Entertainment Works, all one word. You'll find a link to our Ko-fi page in the episode notes. American Entertainment Works is a not-for-profit corporation located in Nashville, Tennessee, so your contributions are tax-deductible. The Blues Alley opening and closing themes were written by Uptown Al, as was this episode. Additional episode music was performed by The Cave Dwellers and A.E. Works recording artist Jim Holthauser. Bumper music was written and performed by Jonathan S. Anderson and Uptown Al. For a transcript and a list of sources for this episode, visit aeworks.org slash bluesalleysources. I'm your storyteller, Uptown Al. Thank you for listening to Blues Alley.